global warming, climate change, ecosystem damage, and pollution are all linked to our current take-make-waste production model. In line with the United Nations Climate Change Conference, which is a recent conference that many of us have heard of, the COP26, many organizations and governments started to integrate circular economy and sustainability into their agendas. However, a lot has to be done to move from pledges and planning to actual implementation. That is where the challenge lies. I am your host, May Faraj, Senior Advisory Director, Environment and Sustainability. And in this episode, I'm glad to be joined by Dr. Shirin Al-Agroudi, Founding Director of Egypt Solid Waste Management Center of Excellence. In today's episode, we will uncover the current realities of our linear production model and the enormous economic opportunities that we can achieve with the transition to circular economy. Dr. Shirin, thank you for joining the Anticipate podcast. There are a number of, of I think, points that uh, that we can start in addressing, but I think the best starting point for us at this stage is to emphasize the economic benefits of sustainability. The concept of extended polluter responsibility, or ERP, for instance, has spawned a multi-billion, a multi-billion dollar industry in Europe. So, so probably we can start off by by thinking or or considering a couple of examples or benefits of a circular economy and circularity, um, and it would also be great if you can explain to the listeners what circular economy and ERP are. Hello, May. Uh, it's my pleasure to be joining the podcast today. So, uh, currently, as you know, our traditional economic model is based on the take, make, dispose scenario, through which we take virgin raw materials from the natural resources, use them to make products to sell. And once these products have reached the end of their life, we dispose them. This is what we call the linear economy. The main issue with our linear economy is the waste. Linear economy models lead to wasting valuable materials. So, and of course, the the impact of wasting such materials is multidimensional. These issues from a strong base to promote circular economy uh, models, which aim to use resources better, close loops of resource flow by recovering as much as possible and prevent waste and pollution through better design. The emphasis is placed on shifting the way we extract, make, use, and repurpose the material in our products to ensure emissions are are reduced and resources are efficiently used and kept in circulation as long as possible. In this context, the extended producer responsibility is an important instrument for achieving a circular economy. A circular economy is a sustainable production and consumption system in which the product life cycle is extended by reusing and recycling the material. By applying the EPR, waste is reduced to a minimum. In comparison to that, EPR holds the manufacturer or the importer of goods responsible for the entire life cycle of the product and the packaging, which includes collection, sorting, and recycling of the packaged goods. The producer bears the financial responsibility as well as the responsibility for any environmental impact of this product. This concept is is uh, quite interesting, and it, it it really fits well with the with the concepts of uh, of obviously climate change and circularity, which are quite timely at the moment. Um, obviously, both the United Nations climate change conferences COP twenty seven and twenty eight are taking place in the Middle East, which which obviously shows the emphasis and the importance of this uh, in the region. So, so on top of the the COP twenty sevens agenda as well, 
um, is the move of climate change commitments and pledges to implementation and actions. Basically, it's it's the top of that agenda. It's quite important. It's quite quite key uh, to the to the COP twenty seven agenda, and that's why those commitments and climate change actions are quite uh, quite crucial. So, in your opinion, uh, can we use circular economy and ERP? Uh, to incentivize the driving sectors uh, of our economy to adopt more sustainable behaviors? And in that essence, how effective uh, will that be in slowing down climate change in your point of view? Yes, having the COP27 and COP28 in the Middle East region is really a a great uh, opportunity, actually, to uh, uh, put some emphasis on circular economy and EPR. Circular economy and EPR can be used to incentivize uh, adopting more sustainable behaviors, So through EPR, the producers of a product or packaging take financial responsibility and sometimes operational responsibility, actually, as well for its end-of-life management. A long-standing aspiration for EPR is that being faced with the end-of-life costs will act as an incentive for producers to find ways to make their products more uh, easily recyclable, more eco-friendly, and thus cheaper to manage at the end of life. Uh, Furthermore, circular economy and EPR significantly contribute to greenhouse gas emission reduction in terms of emission associated with uh, extracting or producing low virgin materials and those from actually also the waste management systems that don't support recycling and resource recovery, such as disposal and landfills and so on. In my opinion, yes, um, it's a great opportunity that we are having those two uh, climate change conferences in the Middle East, and I hope... uh, as far as I understand, that maybe the EPR would be uh, initiated through, um, during these two conferences. Hopefully, indeed, and 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 it's quite interesting as well the fact that um, you know that focus on on waste and circularity and its impact on climate change, and and again also looking at the details that come with it in terms of industries and sectors, also the types of pro- problematic ways. Uh, you know that that's all very very interesting how everything is shaping well together um, and and coming into place, and at the same time it shows uh, shows how the region is coming to that to that level of awareness as well around its importance and the connections and connectivities between them. Um, so basically, under pure market conditions, the economic viability of recycling is driven uh, by the market value of the materials extracted from a waste stream. And again, this really ties well with the ERP concept. So, so, so you know, a question that comes across over here is what are basically the most problematic waste streams in our region and how can we establish a successful financial model for their recycling? Uh, given that usually those those streams are the streams that also have the most value and opportunity as well uh, for us. Yes, I think plastic would uh, would pop in here. So plastics are increasingly considered a problematic waste stream, not only in our region, but actually globally, that's occupying landfill sites, illegal dumps, rivers, and ultimately oceans. So plastic waste consists mostly of disposable plastics and packaging materials. Among the different plastic waste streams, plastic packaging is the, is the most problematic as it's extremely difficult actually to be recycled. Furthermore, the flexible uh, increasing use and multi-layer packa- packing pose challenges to the collection. So the MLP multi-layer packaging is really something that's very hard to be recycled. Thus, EPR implementation for plastic packaging is a high priority action in my point of view to meaningfully reduce greenhouse gas emissions from the whole plastic life cycle while shifting to a circular economy. 
since the producers pay the waste management costs for the whole quantities of packaging or products put onto the market, EPR eliminates unrecyclable packaging and innovates packaging materials to ensure their reusability, recyclability, uh, or suitability for composting. So uh, EPR circulates the packaging materials in the economy. Um, however, the challenge is that there are a wide variety of plastic types that have different attributes and properties, which influence the reuse, recycling, and disposal. Accordingly, EPR fees, in my opinion, should be modulated to encourage the creation of plastic recycling business model and motivate producers to drift away from the unrecyclable plastic materials. Um, again, it's it's a very interesting point over here, um, particularly around the uh, you know the, the the importance of the financial side of it, and and you know what model can be can be adopted. Um, and obviously, as most regions, this region needs to be driven by the legal elements or the legal hierarchy that needs to come in place to support the implementation and enforcement of of aspects related to waste management and and the the you know the plastics and so on. Uh, the legal basis for the transition to economic circularity has shaped what is known by the circular law, which is something that also the region is sort of driving into um, at the moment. So, so in your opinion, what is the legal acts or what are the legal acts that should take priority to accelerate uh, the transition of circularity? And again, this is obviously regionally and, and our learnings probably from, from others uh, globally and other sort of leaders in that space globally. I totally agree. So without the legal framework, we, we cannot move forward into circular economy. And this is something that our region is really missing a lot. So in my opinion, the legal acts that should take priority to accelerate the transition to circularity are to take the second step and issue separate laws, executive regulations, and detailed guidelines for each, each waste management component. So furthermore, a framework should be established to ensure that the laws are enforced and implemented in our region. And even globally, sometimes you have the laws, but there is no enforcement to apply these laws. However, such steps shall be based on sustainability measures and stakeholders' collaborative involvement. Indeed, uh, and and that's that's exactly what we've seen in other parts of the world as well, and, and the driver behind ensuring that you know, the laws are sort of the compliance side of it. And then it's down to the maturity of, of the users and the maturity of the producers as well to ensure that certain circularity measures and initiatives are taken into consideration. Um, obviously, in, here in, in, in this context, I think that's where technology comes into play. And, and obviously, digital and technology is, is where a lot of the smart um, aspects in, in waste management uh, come in. And, and that's where the efficiency comes into play and all the elements of, of the f- economic side of things, the benefits, the initiatives and all of that. So, so in your view, what role can technology play in transforming the way we manage waste, particularly big data tracking, waste systems, 3D printing, using recycled material? Um, what are your thoughts on that? I think artificial intelligence is transforming traditional waste management systems into smart ones that allow utilizing modern technology to manage waste materials in an effective, efficient, and economical way, and is currently used as an approach to tackle complicated problems, handle uncertainty, and exhibit efficiency of smart systems. Artificial intelligence assists in estimating waste generation rates, segregating and categorizing waste, 
uh, optimizing collection and transportation processes and supports reporting illegal dumping incidents. Nevertheless, I think that concerning the recycling process, artificial intelligence would make a revolution in the, in the operation by enhancing operation, considering energy conservation and maximizing material recovery and recycling. And what I have seen in many in recent exhibitions worldwide in solid waste, that yes, um, technology and, and 3D printing um, is, is coming uh, yani in, this, in, the, in the waste management sector. Um, indeed, and and with with all of this, obviously there are a number of uh, of challenges that can that can sort of face you know face the initiatives that we put in place, whether it be uh, financial constraints or even down to habits and behaviors um, of of again the end users and and the uh, and basically the public, um, and that's where a lot of also those challenges may come. Um, what is your view on that? What is your view in terms of challenges that may slow down our transition to economic circularity? Yes, of course we are we are facing several challenges that are slowing down the transition to a circular economy, especially in our region among which is the lack of reliable studies for waste characterization and generation rates. And I, I think that this is really the basis of, you know, how to do a proper waste management system. You have to have a proper waste characterization and generation rates. And this is, we, we really lack. The absence of waste separation practices, which minimizes the waste recyclability. The waste management costs that are not covered by the collected fees. And the low service coverage. Collection efficiency is really low. Which, which this would encourage illegal dumping and creates hidden waste routes. These challenges are all facing and affecting the implementation of uh, economic circularity and EPR systems. And, and obviously coupled with with the the basics of um, you know that the users as I you know as I previously had touched based on and and basically the the individuals that actually are the the people the public which also are key to that and we've seen a lot of recent initiatives um, in the UAE for instance around the users and and raising the awareness around the users and how they can contribute to the wider concept of uh, of uh, circularity. Um, obviously, a, a large, um, a, a, the largest sector um, in this space is infrastructure, the infrastructure sector, where it actually consumes the, low, the raw materials and the energy globally. Um, and obviously, it is the, the largest contributor to the waste streams by weight and by volume. Um, how ready do you think uh, we are um, in terms of the, the transition to circular infrastructure, um, in your view? Thank you for touching base on this. Yes, true. Construction demolition waste is another problematic waste stream. The construction industry is one of the largest waste producers in the world, producing one of the largest amounts of solid urban waste. Furthermore, the industry is classified as the world's largest, largest consumer of raw materials, actually also the highest energy consuming, uh, consuming sector, reaching up to 36% of the total energy consumption and one of the highest energy-related CO2 emissions, counting up to 39% of total global emissions, where 11% is attributed to manufacturing building materials and products such as steel, cement, and glass, and 28% is attributed to building operations. Generally, it can be assumed that the construction demolition waste quantities range between 1% and 10% of the total materials used in the construction industry. 70 to 80% of the CD waste can be recovered through recycling and resource recovery approaches. 
in the absence of regulations for, for the construction and demolition waste and sufficient infrastructure to manage such waste streams, the typical management approach of CD waste is illegal and random dumping, unfortunately. There is an urgent need for new construction and demolition waste management approaches and to promote circular infrastructure. Besides the socioeconomic benefits of recycling construction and demolition waste, energy consumption will be reduced, which would offset greenhouse gas emissions and consequently contribute to climate change mitigation. Upcycling construction and demolition waste minimizes the demand for raw construction materials, resulting in a 10 times reduction of the CO2 equivalent emissions for producing construction materials. The main CO2 equivalent emissions from recycling construction demolition waste are due to the transportation needs, accounting for more than 50% of the emissions, which can be further reduced by mobile and modular recycling facilities that can be set up and reconstructed according to the site-specific waste management needs. And actually, this is a, a very important topic these days uh, when it comes to our region. We have um, been successful somehow in the municipal solid waste sector, but the construction demolition waste, I think, le- needs still uh, a lot of work. Um, indeed, the numbers are quite uh, interesting and and startling at times in terms of the the percentages and the generation waste and so on. It's uh, it's quite uh, quite insightful and at the same time. Um, sort of alarming in a sense that we need to start taking action, we need to start implementing initiatives. And and this sort of uh, drives me to to perhaps the last point that we will be touching base, I think, during to, to, during our discussion today, and that's around the initiatives that the region um, has been taken has taken towards the, uh, the the waste management uh, sec- the waste management as a whole across all sectors. There are a number of notable um, initiatives and projects uh, that certain organizations or governments as well. Um, have sort of spent into and spent time into actually uh, developing and uh, and and implementing a few of those include, for instance, the the Kizad or the Sheikh Khalifa industrial industrial city in Abu Dhabi, where actually they've initiated and implemented a sustainable uh, utility strategy that was driven by the concepts of circularity and circular economy, and it looked into the concept of generating, you know, whatever is being generated gets plugged back into the system. And and this is particularly interesting because it applies the principles and concepts of what we just spoke about. And that's, you know, all the technology that can be taken into consideration in that regard and all the types of of waste streams that can be considered from that industrial city, which which consisted of heavy industry, light industry, and so on. Um, Another notable one is is obviously the the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and... um, and particularly the Ministry of Waste, who has been looking at different initiatives, specifically initiatives in the space of, again, circular economy and industrial symbiosis, and looking at how can whatever being generated in terms of material and waste goes back into the system and how can that be reused uh, for various uh, streams, and at the same time looking at the different financial models that can come into it and the longer-term benefits. Um, anything else, uh, Dr. Shirin, in terms of projects that you'd like to to touch base on um, within that space or any any general uh, point that you'd like to raise? Um, I totally agree with the projects that you have mentioned. In addition, yes, Egypt has also gone far within the waste management sector in the past uh, few years. So uh, um, 
EPR is being uh, initiated um, um, these uh, these months in Egypt in several waste uh, sectors. Um, also, uh, waste to energy facilities uh, that will be uh, uh, constructed um, in the coming months. Uh, so, um, you know, uh, shifting from the uh, disposal sites the, and from the dump sites into uh, waste treatment facilities is something that we are proud of. Um, but, however, I think that projects in the waste management area shall be, should be any, are evaluated, you know, as case-specific. So there is no recipe for a circular sustainable waste management system. Um, they're always customized and designed to tackle case-specific challenges and issues and the, uh, and the perception of what constitutes an issue or a challenge varies between individuals and societies. However, the waste management interventions that are environmentally sound, economically viable, socially accepted, legally applicable, and engage all the involved stakeholders, from my point of view, those are the ones that can be identified as the best examples, and we are proud to have many of these in our region in the past few years and hopefully more and more to come. Great. Thank you, Dr. Shirin. Um, it's been a pleasure to, to, to have you on, on this uh, podcast. Very insightful and invaluable insights that we, we have managed to share with our listeners today. Thank you so much, Mai, for having me and thank WSP Podcast. It's an honor to be with you and I hope... Uh, it has been something light to the listeners and uh, see you again. We hope to have you again on the podcast soon, Dr. Shirin. And to our audience, thank you for listening in all the way through. Please leave us a comment if today's discussion has sparked any interest. And don't forget to join us next week for a new talk.